0: just got to start by saying I'm always impressed with someone playing a violin. I don't know about you. There's a lot about the violin that impresses me. One, one thing about it is that it has a fretless neck. Now, if you're a guitar player, you know that a guitar has frets, so you know where to put your fingers. I used to play guitar. Now, I thought guitar was hard, but when you play something like a violin, a viola, a stand-up bass, double bass... They have no frets. You have to know where to put your hands to make those beautiful notes. So we really appreciate Annabelle blessing us with that this morning. So I voted early this week, which i to see. They used to just have the things that I voted. They actually have ones now that said, I voted early. So I, I didn't wear it. I still have it. But uh, I, I did vote. And no. I'm not going to tell you how I voted. That's what voting's supposed to be like. But you know, one of the things I think that's amazing about the church and about Christianity is we don't always have to agree with each other on everything. Because if I told you how I voted, some of you would go yay and some of you would go boo. It's just the way we are as humans. But when we come together as the church, especially when we come together in something like communion, we put aside smaller differences because we serve a greater good. We serve God, and God is bigger than politics. I don't... I I never talk about politics from the pulpit. I'm just one of those people that doesn't. Because I just feel like it's so small compared to what we're really here about, and that's serving God. So I want to... Let's put the first picture up there, if you will. So this is a Seder plate. If you have ever been to a Jewish Seder, if anybody's ever invited you to this, is the Passover meal, the meal that comes during the Passover season, which is not this season. This is the wrong time of year to be preaching this, I know, but just bear with me. And, and on this plate, this plate will sit on the table. And it has several things on the plate. Now, I'm not going to go through all the things about the Seder and, and all the symbolism, but I will say that when they have a Seder in someone's house, if there's children, the youngest child will say, how is this night different from all other nights? And the head of the family or the host of the meal will use that to begin an explanation of everything that's on the table because everything on the table has symbolic meanings. And on this plate, on this one, you see there's a shank bone of a lamb. Uh, That's that bone. Now, if you were eating lamb for dinner for the Passover meal, you wouldn't necessarily need the shank bone. But if you're not having lamb for dinner, you've got to make sure you have the lamb bone because that was part of the original Seder meal. So there are other things on the plate. There's some bitter stuff and there's some sweet stuff because what they wanted us to remember in this Passover meal that they did once a year was, you know, there were things about it that were bitter. But there were things about it that were sweet. And I think those two things are very important as we, as we understand not just Passover, but the communion meal that came out of it. Now, being in Jerusalem back then during Passover week was a crazy time. I mean, the city was jammed full of people because people literally came from all over the world. Jewish people came because they wanted to have Passover in Jerusalem. So if they had a distant cousin that lived in Jerusalem, they'd ring them up and say, Hey, we're coming for Passover. And so they had to sell a couple more plates for Passover. You know, it was, it was this big festival that they had every year. Now, the week of Passover begins on the Sunday before Passover. And the Sunday before Passover, we call Palm Sunday. That's why I said it's the wrong time of year to be talking about this, but but bear with me. Now, what happened on that Sunday morning that was important for the Passover is all the shepherds up around Bethlehem, or down, because Jerusalem's up, Bethlehem south of, of Jerusalem, down around Bethlehem, all the shepherds raised the sheep that were used in The temple of Israel, and in the Passover. So on that Sunday morning every year, everybody knew that all the shepherds were going to be bringing their sheep up from Bethlehem, and it was like a parade. So people would line the sides of the street, and these guys would march down the street with their with their one year old lambs, and they would bring these lambs through what was called the sheep gate. Now Jerusalem was like. Most big cities back then, it had a huge wall around it, and there was all these gates in the wall, and they used the different gates for different things. And I suppose this one was called the Sheep Gate because this is where they brought the sheep in. It was right next to the temple, and they would use the sheep in the temples for sacrifices and things like that. So on, the, on what we call Palm Sunday, the Sunday before the Passover meal, all these shepherds would bring all these sheep into the city. And they would have to have a lot of sheep because every household needed a sheep. Now, the best sheep they would pick out to be what they called the Passover lamb. And that one they would sacrifice in the temple. But all the other sheep were sold to the people. It was a big fundraiser. It was the, it was their annual, you know, big... I'm not saying churches do fundraisers. We don't, right? <laughs> but they, uh, they would sell these sheep. And the temple would make a huge profit off of selling sheep to all the families who were going to use them in their Passover meal. So this was a big deal. Now we, in the Christian world, we understand that Jesus on that same day also entered the city of Jerusalem. He probably entered through that same gate. It doesn't say that was the gate he entered through, but it makes sense because it says he came into the city and went right to the temple. It was, And that gate's right by the temple. So he probably came along after those sheep had just come down the road. And there's a whole lot of things I could say about that, but if you'll have me back some poem Sunday, I'll talk about that. Because that's not really what we're here to talk about. If you read the Gospels in the Bible, you know that this gate is important. It was an important part of the story. But if you've also been reading the book of Nehemiah, anybody here been reading the book of Nehemiah lately, just randomly? Well, that's good. If you've been coming to to worship in the last several weeks, you know that, that Don's been preaching out of the book of Nehemiah. I hope you're reading along. I hope you're keeping up with the story. But if you're reading in that story in Nehemiah, you know the story by now that the, this was in a time when the Jewish leadership had been had been taken into exile and Jerusalem was laying in ruins. This is hundreds of years before Jesus, okay? So the city was kind of in ruins. Some of the walls had been tumbled down. The gates had been burned. Anybody could just come and go as they pleased. And this guy, Nehemiah, decided, God told him, you you need to do something about that. So he went back to Jerusalem, and they rebuilt the walls in a very short amount of time, and they replaced all the gates. Now, they tell the story in Nehemiah of who did what, because everybody was given an assignment. Everyone had an assignment, okay, you're, you've got this part of the wall, you've got this gate, you've got this part of the wall, you, and the, and they typically gave, if you live near the wall, you got to work on the wall near your house, because they figured you're going to want your house to be protected, so you're going to do a really good job. But the very first, the very first part of that story, the very first place it said about fixing them was this. In Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 1, it said, Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priest, went to work and rebuilt the Sheep Gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place. and that's something? This story in, in Jesus' time about this gate, the story shows up all the way back in Nehemiah's time. It was an important place. I think it's very interesting. Not only did it mention this in Nehemiah, but it was the very first place that Nehemiah mentioned that they fixed. And it was the high priest, a big shot guy, Who worked on it? I'm trying to picture the high priest with a saw or a hammer or something working on the gate. But it said that's what they did. But the story we're going to look at tonight didn't happen on Sunday. It happened on Thursday night. So we're going to fast forward a few days to Thursday. Jesus was together with his closest followers, and they came together to celebrate the Passover meal. They were staying with some friends out in the suburbs of the city. And um, his followers start going, Jesus, where are we going to celebrate Passover? I mean, it's, it's, it's like being, the you know, right before Thanksgiving. And where are we eating Thanksgiving dinner this year? You know, you've got to know these things, right? So they're saying, Jesus, where are we going to have this Passover meal? And Jesus says, i got that taken care of. So he sends two of his guys, Peter and John. He says, you're going to go in the city. And when you get inside the gate, you're going to see a guy carrying a jar of water. It's a big city. There's a lot of people. But I read this. I I didn't make this up, so don't come after me afterwards. Back then, men didn't carry jars of water. Only women carried jars of water. That was a woman's job back in the day. So when he said, you'll find a man carrying a a jar of water, this guy's going to stick out. He's going to be unusual. So they go into the city, and sure enough, there's a guy carrying a jar of water. And they just follow him. Because that's what Jesus said to do. Follow him to the house he goes into. So they followed him to the house, they come up to the door, and they get the owner of the house, and they said, "Um, we're here to ask where the master, they didn't even say Jesus, they said the master, apparently this guy knew Jesus, where the master was going to eat Passover. And the guy says, come inside, he takes him upstairs, and there's a big room upstairs on the second floor of his house, and it's all set up for Passover. So that's what's going on here. All the preparations were ready. Peter and John had to go get the lamb, sacrifice the lamb, do all the stuff they do, get all the food they would need so that they could get together. So who was around this table? There's Leonardo da Vinci's version of it. It didn't look like that at all. For one thing, they weren't all sitting on one side of the table. It's kind of like when you take a picture of your family, you get them all together and say, okay, everybody, scoot in, scoot in, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and so that's kind of what he's done. He's put them on all, on one side of the table. There's so much about this picture that we could talk about, but again, we don't have a bunch of time to talk about it today. If you look at it closely, you'll notice that the disciples are in groups of three, and there's all kinds of people who've made all kinds of stories up about why they were in groups of three, and... Um, And they've even decided which one is which of the disciples. They know who's who in the picture. But uh, this is what happened. Now, this group of people that Jesus had with him, these 12 guys who had been following him around for a few years now, they were not what you would normally think you would pick to be your leadership team. Let me tell you, one of them used to collect taxes for the Roman government. The Romans had, had 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 taken over Israel, so it's like if foreigners ruled your land, and they hired a guy to come to your house and get your taxes from you, you wouldn't like that guy. So one of them was a the guy that, that collected taxes from the people. And the story is, back then, the tax collector, tax collector always charged them more than he was supposed to, and then kept some of it. So so you got that guy at the table, and then also at the table you have another guy that may have been a terrorist. He belonged to a group that they called the Zealots. They were, they were people that wanted to overthrow the Roman government. So imagine these, it's, it really is like Thanksgiving dinner, isn't it? <laughs> you know, you got Republicans and Democrats sitting at the same table eating, eating the same food. But he had these two guys. He had uh, four of the guys were commercial fishermen. Anybody here a commercial fisherman? Have you ever known a commercial fisherman? I've known a bunch of them. They're a rough bunch. You know, it's not easy work. It's hard work. So the, the four guys that were commercial fishermen, they were tough, blue-collar kind of guys. You had all, this. And the point is that this group of people was not all – they weren't all people that got along on everything. They argued about stuff. Remember, if you will – I hope you might, a few of you might – a few weeks ago, I preached, and we talked about the story that happened right after, the, exactly right after this, the very next verses. It says they got in an argument with each other. They got in an argument about who was the greatest. So those, those 12 guys sitting around the table were all, I'm the greatest of us, I'm, I'm the best. No, no, you're not, I am. You know. And they started arguing. They didn't get along. They didn't get along always. Yet this was the group of people that Jesus chose to share this very very important meal with. As Scott said earlier, Jesus, you know, said I longed to 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 share this meal with you. He'd been waiting for this night. And he knew who these guys were. He knew that they weren't all perfect. That they didn't always get along. One of these guys sitting at the table and um If you count in from this side, one, two, three, four, you see a guy with black hair? He's kind of in the shadow a little bit. That's, That's supposedly Judas, according to experts. Judas had already made a deal with the authorities and got paid to turn Jesus into the authorities, and because of that, Jesus would die the next day. Jesus knew that. In fact, he talked about it around the table. He said, the person who's going to betray me is sitting right here. And they're all going, who? You know, that's what we would do. Which one of us? Who? Another one of the guys at this table, Peter, who would become their leader after Jesus rose from the dead and went back to heaven, Peter was going to deny Jesus three times that night before morning. And Jesus, Jesus mentioned, he said, Peter. Before the cock crows, before the rooster crows, tomorrow morning, you're going to not deny that you know me three times. And he did. That's who's around this table. And yet that's who Jesus chose to share this meal with. Now, if you notice when, we when we were reading the story, the cup is in this version is mentioned twice. Now, remember, this was part of the Seder meal, the Passover meal. And if you ever have been to a Seder meal, four times they have cups of wine in this meal. So when the the, the cup was mentioned twice in this story, that's not a mistake. It was probably two different times that this cup was mentioned during this Passover meal. Once during the meal and once after the meal. Jesus took this meal that they all knew about. They'd all done it all their lives. And he changed it at the end. He changed the part about what we call the bread and the cup. Now, the bread that they used for this meal was kind of like a cracker. Have you ever eaten matzah? Matzah is the Jewish cracker that they used. It's unleavened bread. During the Passover, you didn't eat bread that had risen, that had yeast in it. You had to have bread that didn't have any yeast in it. That was part of the deal. So they have this flatbread called matzah. And in this meal, in, in the ceremony that goes along with the Passover meal, there are three different pieces of matzah. One of them is called the afikoman; It's the one in the middle. So they, they'll have them on a little tray like this stacked up. And the one in the middle is called the afikoman. And nowadays at the Passover, the, 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 the dad will hide the afikomen somewhere in the room and the kid's got to go try to find it. You know, Interesting story. And again, there's a lot about the afikomen It seems to relate to Jesus, but we're not here today. We'll talk about that when you invite me back some Palm Sunday to preach, okay? (laughs) But uh, they had this bread. And a lot of people think that it was that afikoman, that one, that Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. It was something that was familiar to them, and he's using something familiar to teach them something that they knew. These guys still did not believe Jesus was going to die. He'd, he'd said it to him several times. You know I'm going to die. You know I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And when I'm in Jerusalem, I'm going to be put to death. And they're yeah, 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 yeah. They didn't, they didn't believe it. But Jesus kept telling them. But see, there's no magic in the bread. The matzo wasn't some special bread. It was everyday bread. It was Again, it was like a cracker. There was not something holy about it that made it different. But Jesus gave it a meaning that was different. I like the translation that a guy named William Barclay uses for this. He says... Do this, and it will make you remember me. I like that translation. It will make you remember. Every time you break this at a Passover meal or or around your table, when you take this, it's going to make you remember me. Then Jesus said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. A covenant is an agreement. And what Jesus was saying, God is making a new agreement between people and God. In the Passover Seder, there's both judgment and salvation, both bitter and sweet. Remember I said at the table they had bitter food and they had sweet food. There's judgment and salvation mentioned in this meal. And Jesus brings that into the Lord's Supper as well. Because indeed, for us to get our salvation, judgment had to happen. And Jesus would die the next day not because he didn't know it was coming he did not to commit suicide it wasn't suicide. they they arrested him. they tried him and they killed him but he did it he, he was God he could he could have changed things if he wanted to. He could have he could have just gone and snapped his finger and everything would have changed but he didn't. That was where the judgment came in. Later that night, Jesus would be praying in a garden with his followers. And he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. But not my will, but yours be done. Do this in remembrance of me. See, the guys gathered around the table that night when, when they remembered Jesus. They literally remembered things he had said and done. They were there when all that stuff happened. <coughs> They would gather those stories together, and we have the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four of the books in the Bible that came from the stories that these guys remembered. So when Jesus said to, this, to them, do this in remembrance of me, literally they would remember stories and messages that Jesus had preached. And he'd say, don't forget that. That's what he's saying. Don't forget. Remember what's happened. My question today is, what will you remember? What will you remember about Jesus today? We just took communion. Something we're supposed to do in remembrance of him. I'm afraid sometimes we've let it just become a religious ritual. Something we just kind of do because we've always kind of done it. And we and our tradition is to do it, you know, the first Sunday of the month or whatever. So that's what we do. But do we do it in remembrance of him? What will you remember leaving here today about Jesus? Will you remember that at his table that he did this at, there were people that disagreed with each other, that didn't get along, that didn't didn't believe the same stuff? Jesus had chosen these guys to be around his table. He chose them to be his leadership team. As I mentioned, right after this, they'd get in an argument with each other. That's the kind of guys they were. As we gather here today, and we've taken communion together, taken the Lord's Supper together, we don't always agree on everything. We are facing election in two days. Again, I don't talk politics in the sermons, but uh, either you've already voted like I did or you're going to vote on Tuesday. (laughs) And we don't always agree. In this room, we don't agree on who's the right person for the right place in politics. That's okay. Remember that Jesus around his table had people that didn't agree. Even people who would betray him. So as you gather today, is that what you're going to take away? You know, I shared something that's got the word union in it, communion. It's something where we come together not to agree on everything, but because we serve a bigger purpose. Unity. Jesus calls us to unity. He doesn't call call us to agree on everything. He calls us to unity. Even if we don't agree on some things, we need to be unified when we come to this table. Will you remember today about communion The judgment and salvation are both present at this table. Jesus knew when he was doing this, he knew and he said, (coughs) Excuse me, the person who's going to betray me is sitting right here. And then he would tell Peter, You're going to deny me. Judgment was at that table, but salvation was also at that table. He brought something to them that they could understand. About 20, 30 years later, Paul was writing to the Corinthians. Now, Paul was a guy that was not there that night, but he was a very early Christian. And he went around the world starting churches in places that didn't have churches. And one of them was in the town of Corinth in Greece. And in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, Paul says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Because there's judgment and salvation present in this meal. Everyone should examine themselves. You know what we've taken that to mean? I'm here to examine you. We've all become experts in examining each other, haven't we? Don't we like to talk about those people? I just love talking about those people. Because they're always wrong and I'm always right. That's why Paul said, everyone ought to examine themselves. Because you know what? Everyone has sinned. Everyone has been wrong. Somewhere, sometime. So before I sit down and, and eat and drink of this communion, this Lord's Supper... I need to admit to myself and to God, I'm a sinner. I'm not always right. It's not always about me. As much as I want it to always be about me, it's not always about me. But we live in a culture where we've all become experts about me, about what I want and what I believe and what I think. And we'll get on Facebook or whatever, And talk bad about other people who don't think like we do. That's the times we live in. That's why the church is different. Because I can disagree with you on some things. You can disagree with each other on some things. And yet when we come together in this moment and we eat that little wafer and we drink that little bit of juice, we're together in unity. Will you remember today... That communion is about grace. That's powerful. This little thing here. And Scott, thank you for teaching us how to open it. Because it's so easy to open it wrong. But uh, this little thing represents something big. It represents grace. See, that whole salvation thing. What that's saying is you got something you didn't deserve. That's what grace is. Getting something you didn't deserve. I did not deserve for God to give me salvation. I deserved the judgment part. But God offered me grace. Something that I didn't deserve. That's what Christianity is all about. That's the heart of what Christianity was all about. That's what Jesus was trying to teach his followers that day, then it's really all about grace. So let me just finish with this one question. How will you remember Jesus today? How will you remember him this week? Let's pray. Lord, help us to catch a glimpse of what you were talking about on that night and what you were beginning when you took something very familiar to them and did something very different with it. Help us to understand the remembrance part, that we do this to remember you, to remember what you said, to remember what you did, what you did for us, to remember your love. Help us, Lord, to remember you today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.